Keep going. Don't stop moving, not even for a moment. Don't let them see. Don't let them see who you might really be, who you really are. Cover up that mess, that mistake, those dark places that are marked by so many scars. They've never known the pain that you felt, so don't you dare even think about asking them for help. You can fix this on your own. I can fix this. I can fix this. I can fix this alone. Does this sound like you? Because if I'm being honest, there have been many days where this sure sounds like me. And if you give me just a moment of your time, I'll try to explain to you what I mean. See, when my life falls apart, I don't yell out amen. But it's not because I'm scared of them. I don't raise my hands to the sky, but I promise you it's not because I'm shy. I sit quietly in my chair as the music is blaring. With down my face, floods of tears are pouring. See, because I had to look in my mirror and I saw disgusting rags. I'm a wretch. There's nothing real about me except for my lingering stench. So go ahead and judge me because you're more perfect than I. You can raise your hands and sing until your song becomes a cry. But ask me why my life is a mess. Go ahead and shout. You pretend your life is holy, but in reality, all you do is doubt. When the words you say would have made your mama cry. When your computer screen is still full of sex and you can't figure out why. When all you think about is the next time you can shoot up, when you say, I can't handle it, so you fill another red cup. So don't you tell me your life is perfect because I know it isn't true. I've been down that road and I ran until my face was blue. I couldn't keep up with the pace of light, and God, he knew it too. So he sent someone here who had to die. He sent his only son who took the pain, not just mine, but yours, his, hers, everyone's combined, and then he placed it on his shoulders and he let out a cry. Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. You see, he went to the grave begging for our lives, yet we have the audacity to spit and say it's not enough in our eyes. Oh, but Libby, my life is so hard and nobody understands me. I yell and I feel that I'm totally crazy. There's no one to go to with the pain, so I go to my wrist. There's never anyone there, so I guess I'm not worth it. And God, why'd you create me if my life would be such a mess? Wouldn't it be better if I just didn't exist? Brothers and sisters, we must understand that it's no longer just our bodies that we're torturing, no longer just our souls that we're tormenting. That we put the scars not just to our wrists, then not just to our veins is the poison we insist. That it is Christ who has already taken that pain. That it is he who has taken every lip-biting cut. That it is he who has taken every life-crushing cup. How many times must we nail him to this cross? How many times must we say, God, you're just not enough? He did not come for the righteous the perfect, or the fake smiles. He came for the weak, the sick, and those we would label and typecast as merely and only vile. As believers, will we go on living as if we're all on our own, as if Yeshua was just some story they took time to write in stone? Will we continue to praise the perfect life and judge others who don't do the same, completely forgetting the God who came? He came to seek and save the lost. Tell me, did he do it all in vain, or will we finally let go and give up all this wasted pain? Will we trade our razors, our cups, our needles, and the facade of a perfect life for what we're supposed to be? His beautiful bride, his kings, his queens. Well, good morning, 1030, how you doing? I just have one question for you. Are you ready to go this morning? Are you ready to go? I don't know about you, 
but I'm ready to preach, all right? I'm ready to go. Some of you are like, oh, my goodness, what is going on? Who is this guy? I'm a scrub, okay? And, uh, and so are you. So we are all in the same boat together. Welcome to week two of Flip the Script. And uh, here's the deal. Whether you have been around the church for a long time uh, or not, it is, uh, it's very possible that you have heard someone use this statement before, that Jesus has come, that you may experience abundant life. You ever heard that before? Mm-hmm. Me too. And this truth is connected to a popular verse in John chapter 10, verse 10. And uh, here's what it says. Part of it, it says, uh, it says this. It says, I have come that they may have life. Say life. life. Now say it like you mean it. Say life. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Say full. Full. Oh, I like that. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's a great verse. It's one of those verses that man, it inspires you, it motivates you. It's one of those verses, it's a great verse to like kick off your day with. You know what I mean? It just, it's, it's just good. It's really good. Great truth. Now, you may notice this, though, that there are three little dots, okay, that are here. And uh, if, uh, if we can go back, okay, and pretend like we're in class just for a couple of seconds, okay, because just my ADD can only handle it for a couple of seconds, all right? In grammar school, what do these three little dots mean? Do you guys know? What is it? You're like, I don't, I don't really know. I don't, don't. <laughs> Please don't ask me. <laughs> don't ask me. Jay, it's only 1030. Please don't ask me. It's an ellipsis. You know what that stands for? It means whenever you see an ellipsis, it means that there are a number of words that have been left out that should not affect necessarily the meaning of what you're reading, but there are some significant words that are right before this verse. They're pretty significant. They're big. And if we just camp out here, I don't know that we necessarily get the full thing. So if you don't mind, let's, uh, let's read the whole thing real quickly in John chapter 10, verse 10. It starts off like this. not such a vacation at all, actually. It says that the thief comes only to what? Steal, that's not a good thing. So it comes to steal and to? Definitely not a good thing. And he also comes to? I can see why you wouldn't want to start off your day reading that first. The enemy, the thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Not really that inspiring. Not really that feel good when you see that, right? It doesn't necessarily feel good, but it is a real reality, though. That there is an enemy who is out there who wants to wage war against your soul, you and me, whether you are a Jesus follower or whether you find yourself in the land where you're just investigating faith. There is an enemy that has come to steal the abundant life, to kill the abundant life, and he wants to do everything he can to destroy the abundant life. And here's the deal. If we just read this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, which is true, then we would be chilling at vacation all the time. We would go at life like, man, it's just vacation every single day, you know? I don't know, what's, what's that favorite place for you when you think about vacation? For me, I think of Punta Cana and Dominican Republic. Woo! It's beautiful. I'm there in my mind right now, and Zach is with me. I'm telling you, it is, it is, it is it's a wonderful place. But you and I both know, whether you're a Jesus follower in this house or not, you know that there is some war that's going on out there. That life isn't just a vacation. 
Some of you in the house, you're like me, you love Chinese food. Anybody in the house love Chinese food in the house? Now, here's the deal. If you love Chinese food, you're not going to go, woo, okay? You're going to mean it. So let me ask you again. Are there any Chinese food lovers in the house this morning? That's what I'm talking about. Orange chicken? Yes, Lord. <laughs> Crab ragoons? Yes, you know what? Why are we even here? Let's just go. Let's just go right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I mean, and if you're like me, I like to go to the Chinese buffet, okay? Now, my wife, she saves me. She's like, we can't go every single day, <laughs> you know, once a quarter. We can't do this every single day because I would, you know? And I go to the lines, man. I get my, my orange chicken, my crab ragoon. I'm just, I'm loading it up, man. And, it, you know, whatever, I, whatever else I see there, the, the donuts that are there, you know, I'm like, oh, this, this looks good, you know? But then there's some other things, though, that I see that I'm like, I don't know what that is. And you're laughing because you said the same thing. You're like, I don't know. I don't know. They just killed a cat in the back and then brought it out. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what just happened. I don't know. You know? And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Uh, there's some things that I say, you know what? I am just going to leave it off of my plate. And some of you do the same thing. But you know what? We approach Scripture sometimes the same way, don't we? There's something that just feels good. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full, and that is true. And you're like, whoa, let me put that on my plate. That's good. <laughs> but the one part you may not necessarily put on your plate is this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Oh, no, leave it off the plate. <laughs> but there is an enemy that is at war for, for our souls. And I don't care whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Chinese, I don't care what your color is, red, yellow, black, and white. He is no respecter of any person. I don't care how much money you have in your bank account, or maybe you're in this category, how little money you have in your bank account. <laughs> the enemy is no respecter of person. He is coming. He's coming after us. And uh, he may, wants to make war of our souls. In this series, we're calling it Flip the Script. And one of the enemy's favorite man tool that he uses against us is lies. Say lies. In fact, that is backed up by the truth in Scripture. In John chapter 8, verse 44, it says this, There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a what? A liar. My mom used to say, the devil is a liar. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You know what it's saying? He's a master manipulator. When he speaks his language, it is full of lies. He knows how to flip the script on you. And if the enemy is a liar, then what does that make Jesus? Jesus says, I'm the truth. In fact... In John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32, it says this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It will set you free. Are you free today? Or maybe I could even ask you this question. When is the last time you really felt free? I'm talking about deep in your soul where you just felt free. You know, that kind, that kind of freedom where 
You're in secret at Bush Gardens. <laughs> on the edge, you know what I'm saying? You're in the front row. And it drops, and instead of you holding on, you're just like, <laughs> Maybe that's just me. <laughs> free. You free today? One of the purposes of this series is what we want to do is we want to uncover some of the popular lies of the enemy. He feeds at us. He whispers at us. And there's a lot of them. And then we want to be set free. Say free. free. We want to be set free by the truth that is found in God's word. Free. And here's the deal. Some of the lies that we have believed, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to help us to uncover those lies. Because we've gotten to a point to where we can't even recognize them anymore. And so for many of us here, we need to say, just like me, I got to tell you, before this scrub even stepped up on this stage, me and God, can I tell you what? He's been working me over, even through this series. He has uncovered, man, some of these same lies in my own life. And I'm like, Lord, would you please set me free? And for some of you, you need to say the same thing. God, help me to recognize the lies that have paralyzed me from living free. And then help me to be set free. When we live by a lie, we give it the power of truth in our life. The enemy hands us a script every day. Say every day. Every. Not just someday, not just Monday, Wednesday, Friday, every day. And the script that he hands you and me, it is full of lies about you, about your identity, about God, about how he loves you, and about how he feels about you. It's full of lies. And when we believe a lie, we give it tremendous power over our life. Or we could say it this way. It's going to be on the screen. We could say this. When we believe a lie, we live by a lie. When we live by a lie, we give it the power of truth in our life. The silly, insignificant lie that we used as an example last week was, you know, our parents, at some point when you're growing up, in order to motivate you to eat carrots, they would say this, that carrots will improve your... It's a lie. It's not true. And if you were here last week, even after you left here, you were like, no, I got to do some research. It has to be true. There's no way in the world that that is a lie. I mean, some of you, you've gone bankrupt. Okay, that's kind of extreme. You know, just going out buying carrots because you're like, my eyes, they got to be on point. Okay, I got to be able to see. But it is a lie. Can I ask you a question, though? What are some more significant lies that we have believed that have more significant implications in our life? Here's one. Maybe you have believed a lie that God doesn't care about you. Have you ever felt that way before? God doesn't care about you. Can I tell you this? Even as a next-gen pastor, I have had times when I felt that, when I've heard that lie whispered to me, God doesn't care about you, Jay. He doesn't care about you. And because you believe God doesn't care about you, you have allowed your heart to become burdened towards him. Hardened towards him, you become bitter and angry towards God. Some of you, you're sitting here and you are just so mad at God because you believe the lie that God doesn't care about you. Or, or maybe, maybe this lie, maybe you believe the lie that you can never change. Have you ever believed that lie before? You look at yourself and you're like, I am such a mess, there is no way that I could ever change. 
And, and because the enemy is going to tell you that lie all day long, you can't change. It's too late for you. You're too much of a mess to change now. It's always going to be this way. If you believe that lie, then you're, going to, you're not going to try to change. In fact, probably what's going to happen is that you're probably going to go deeper into your addiction or your sin, and things will only get worse because you believe the lie that things will never change. Maybe you believe the lie that you will never be good enough. You ever believe that lie before? I'll never be able to measure up. That your mistakes can never be forgiven or, or redeemed. And as a result, you have lived with guilt every day and the enemy hunts you with this lie. You go to bed at night and you hope, man, that when I wake up in the morning, I'll be good to go. And as soon as you wake up, the enemy comes at you with that lie. He's a liar. There's no truth in him. A master manipulator. When we believe a lie, it has tremendous implications on our life, and it spills over to those who are around us. Or you could even say it this way, a lie will never just affect you, but everyone who bumps into you. Is that true? So we want to expose. Or we could say it this way, we want to pull back the curtain on the enemy's lies and we want to be set free. Say free. I love that word free. We want to be set free from those lies. Last week we talked about a lie that goes like this. You don't have what it takes. You ever heard a lie before? He whispers to you, you don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not competent enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not capable enough. You don't have what it takes. And then we were set free by the truth that was found in Philippians chapter 4 that reminds us that through him, we can do anything. And so when the enemy comes at you sideways, and it's not a question of if, it's when he comes at you sideways, we can respond back to him, you know what, I may not have what it takes, but I know who does. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The enemy would love for you to believe that lie. The lie we're going to talk about briefly this morning is this. So if you're like, man, listen, Jay, I have my cornbread at home. It's cooking right now. I can't let it burn. I promise you it won't be long, okay? But here's another lie, and I wonder if you've heard this lie before. You can fix it yourself. You ever heard that before? You can fix it yourself. You can fix it yourself. He whispers that lie to us. It's another one of his favorite lies. It's the lie of, it's the lie of pride. It is, it is a lie that refuses to ask for help when we need it. Some of you in this room, you have a hard time asking for help, even with the simplest things. You're like, no, I don't need help. I got it, right? Especially for the man in the room, your wife, they see you struggling, and she's like, babe, do you need help? Like, no, I got it. It's this, it's this lie of pride. It refuses to ask for help when we need it. It's desperate to hide mistakes when the only hope for healing and recovery is revealing them. It's the lie that causes us not to admit our fault, to not admit that we are incapable. 
It's a lie that causes us to insist that I can do this myself. So while last week the lie of you don't have what it takes plays on our insecurity, this week the lie you can fix it yourself is the lie of pride. Say pride. Pride and insecurity go together. These things are not mutually exclusive. Oftentimes you will see the enemy use one lie with one person and another lie with a different person. If the enemy, by the way, can get you and me, you're not alone with this, we're all together. If the enemy can get you and me to buy into this lie that you can fix it yourself, then God will suddenly not be necessary. For some of you, you believe that. You've gotten to a place where you're like, I can fix it myself. And so you've gotten to a place where you're like, God's not necessary in my situation. I got this. By the way, the little word it in the statement is not referring to an inanimate object. Can we go back to that statement? You can fix it yourself. You can fix it. Say it. it. You know, some of you are sitting next to it. Don't look at them, though. <laughs> don't look at them. Don't look at them. Don't, don't do it. You're going to get in trouble. Some of you, you sit next to it. You've been thinking, man, I can, I can fix it. I can fix it myself. The anger problems, they're an emotional basket case, whatever it is. I can fix it myself. I can fix it. Some of you say it again. Some of your, your it's are waiting for you at home. And you're like, I can fix it myself. Some of you in the room, you are raising a bunch of what? Yes. And the enemy's been telling you, you can fix it yourself. Can I ask you a question? Can we just talk? Let's imagine we're in Starbucks. Because someone gave us gift cards because it's too expensive for us to pay for it on our own. <laughs> and I want you just to, I want you to, to imagine us having a conversation about this. And I just ask you this, how's that going for you? How's it going for you as you're running around, you're just fixing the little it's all around you? Is that going well for you? Do people like living with you? Do people like working with you? When your kids see her, they're like, ah, got to go the other way. Mom's trying to fix me. Dad's trying to fix me. I mean, some of us are fixers in the room. We're naturally bent away. If I can be honest, my wife, she would tell you, I'm a fixer. When she's sitting down and she's telling me about some problem, I'm like, I know how to fix it. One, two, three, boom, you know. And she's like, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen to me. Now, here, here's a moment of confession. How many of you would join me and say, Jay, I can struggle with that. We're trying to fix it. Yes. First, I was going to say, y'all lying in the room. I know I'm not the only person that's here. There's folks, who are, they're watching online, you know, in their living room. They're like, that's me too. I know. Maybe, maybe it for you in your life is not a person. Maybe it's a financial situation. I can fix it myself. Maybe it's an addiction, a stronghold that's in your life. And by the way, one thing I love about the church is it's, it's a hospital. It's not a country club. It's, it's a place for broken people. I'm one broken person speaking to a lot of broken people right now. 
Maybe it's a marriage issue. I can fix it myself. Some of you, you're sitting here and your marriage, man, it is hanging on by a thread. And we all know, for those of us who are, who are married, you know life isn't a bunch of roses all the time, okay? And when those issues come in, sometimes you think, I can fix it myself. Maybe it's a health issue, or maybe it's a broken relationship, or maybe it's a secret sin that's in your life that you don't want anyone to know about. And you say, you know what, I can fix it myself. And the enemy, he whispers, and even now, even now, he will say, don't listen. I want you to get distracted by what you have to do when you get home today. Don't you even dare listen. The devil is a liar. You listen all the more. Because even now, the enemy will whisper to you, you don't need any help. You know what the enemy will say to you? It's my neighbor that's sitting next to me. They're they're the one that needs help. Not me. Don't let anyone know about your struggle. You don't need to let anyone know about the situation you're in. People don't want to help you anyway. You just give it a a few more weeks or a few more months, and baby, it's going to work out for you. Have Have you ever heard those lies before? You can fix it yourself. You can be good. The devil is a liar. Then he'll come to you and say this, there are so many other problems in the world that God doesn't really care about what you're going through. You don't need God. You can fix it yourself. It's the lie that is appealing to Western culture because we have put a premium on this idea of self-sufficiency. We value the self-starters and the self-sustainers, don't we, in our culture? We are the resume builders. Uh, We are taught from an early age that you take your achievements and you put them in a case for everybody to see. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Or your accomplishments, and and you frame them, you put them on the wall. Some of you, if I walk into your office, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what the color paint was on your wall because it's just covered in accomplishments. We buy into this lie. It's a lie that is embraced by human nature, that there is something in us that really wants to believe it's true that we can fix it, say it, ourselves. What's the it for you? What's the it that you've been trying to fix? One of the phrases we can often use is, I got this. Even... A child, sometimes they're, some of their first words would, mine, I got it. <laughs> I got a question for you. Who do you think when it comes to, I got this, which gender do you think says this more? Men or women? Say it out loud. Who do you think it is? Yes. yes. All the men in the room were quiet. <laughs> it ain't me. <laughs> it's not me. All the more an indicator, yes, it is. You know how I know? Because I am a man. But we all can struggle with this life, but it's specifically men in the room. And some of you right now, you're getting really nervous. And the enemy is saying, really don't listen. We get caught up in this lie that we can do it ourselves. We live in this DIY culture. This do-it-yourself culture. You see a lot of this on home improvement shows where a couple... They, uh, they will come onto the show and they want to do a, a remodeling project. 
You know how it goes. And they start off with all kinds of optimism. They're like, oh, we can handle this. We can do it ourselves. My wife and I, we did that. She wanted a desk. <laughs> we went down to Ikea, bought her a little desk for her calligraphy. And we started on this thing. And first of all, I didn't even have instructions. And I thought, I can still handle it. I can do it myself. And you know what ended up happening? We start thinking, well, maybe we need this. Maybe it doesn't have all the tools that we need, you know? So we start, we end up wasting so much time and spending so much money trying to work on this project, and then you end in separate rooms, right? You're like, I'm going to just go over here for two days. And then you can come back and talk to me. When you believe the lie that you can do it yourself, it will cost you more than you want it to, and it will rob you of precious time. Some of you, if you're a parent, you're, you're robbing precious time with your kids because you have things going on in your life, and you keep saying, I can fix it myself, and it's not going anywhere, and the stakes are getting higher. Some of you, you're married, you're here in the house, or you're listening online, you're listening by podcast today, and you just keep thinking, man, I can fix it myself, these issues that are going on. God is saying, can you really? It's a lie. You can't fix it yourself. Some of you, your students here, you're not married. You're like, that's not me. And you're in a relationship. You found your boo thing. Jay, they look so good. I just love them. Muscles and everything. And you know all along things aren't really working out, but you keep telling yourself, I can fix it. Couple more days, couple more weeks, couple of more months, it's gonna be good. You tell me in a couple more days, in a couple more weeks, in a couple more months, how's it going for you? The Bible gives us several examples of how this looks when we buy into this idea that we don't need any help. Real quickly, here's an example Genesis 16, where Abraham and Sarah are told that they are going to have a son and it will be the beginning of a great nation, but Sarah. It's past the age of bearing children, and so some time passes, and she starts to think that probably God needs her help. You ever thought that before? Like, I think God needs my help. <laughs> I don't, I, God's not showing up, so I think he needs my help, so I'm going to help him out. And if you ever thought that before, and you try to step in the place of God, then you know it doesn't always end up well. And so, in Genesis Chapter 16, verse 2, she comes up with this great plan, and she says this, Go sleep with my slave, she says to Abraham, and perhaps I can build a family through her. Say drama. Say drama. <laughs> drama just breaks out. Sarah ends up getting pregnant as well, by the way, because God does come through with this promise. And now you have this slave who Abraham slept with, and she's pregnant too, and it is like an episode of Jerry Springer. <laughs> or Maury. When it comes to little old Abraham Jr., you are 99.9% .9 not the mama. <laughs> Drama breaks out. But it started with this thought that I can fix it myself. You ever believe that lie before? 
1 Samuel 13 is another example. You have King Saul, say King Saul, whom has what looks like a really good opportunity to attack the Philistines, but the window is closing. And so he is waiting for the priest Samuel to come and offer sacrifices. And he asks for help before going into battle, but Samuel seems to be running late. And it seems like Saul is going to miss his window of opportunity to attack the Philistines. And so he decides he's not going to wait for Samuel. He's going to do it what? Himself. And then God lets Saul know through Samuel that because of his defiant act of independence, that he is going to lose the kingdom. It's going to be given to a man that is after God's own heart. You know who that is? David. You can fix it yourself. We don't have enough time in the day, not enough time in this service for us to even go through all of the examples that are found in Scripture. Tons of people all the way up to us in the present where we have this thought, we can fix it ourselves. And the enemy knows that if we believe this lie long enough, things will come crashing down. Here's what happens when we buy into the lie. The first thing is, is that it increases pride. Say pride. So this past summer, uh, a couple of us from our church, we went to Guatemala on a mission trip. It was incredible. The food was really good. But what was awesome was we had an opportunity to serve the people in the community there. We built uh, some bookshelves uh, for a program for kids, and then we also built some beds in this remote village for kids to sleep on the floor. And if you know me, then you know I am not a builder. At the beginning, though, they challenged us. They said, hey, listen, you step outside of your comfort zone. And so I'm like, well, this is outside of my comfort zone. And uh, they, they handed me a drill, and I had a little nail there. And, I, and you're like, Jay, you probably made a huge mess, didn't you? I'm like, no, actually, I did pretty good. I built that bed with some help. <laughs> and that shelf. And you know what I started to think? I didn't say it out loud. But I started to think, man, if I can build a bed, and a bookshelf. Maybe I can build a house. <laughs> I'm telling you, I really did. I started thinking that. Now, I didn't say it out loud because I knew it sounded foolish, but I thought it in my head, though. I probably can build a house. Now, some of you are like, Jay, did you attempt that? No, because you know that would not end well. But it was increasing this pride because I thought, man, if I can solve one problem, then I can go after something that is much bigger. Is it, and isn't that what we do? It increases pride. We start to think to ourselves, I don't need anyone or anything else. I got it. God bless you. Uh, the other thing is this, is that it minimizes problems. You start to say, there's nothing I can't handle. I built the bed. I built the bookshelf. Nothing I can't handle. You just bring it at me. I got you. In fact, I think I'm going to start a company. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I built my website, jayscompany.com. There's nothing I can handle. But don't we have the same approach with whatever it is in our life? We say, you know what? If I overcame this thing, I can overcome this big problem in my life. It minimizes the problem. And the other thing is, you need to know this, that for me to buy into a lie, you can fix it yourself. It requires me to look through a lens that is unrealistic. It's not real reality, and it is blindly optimistic worldview. Then what happens? 
When you start to think, man, I can just fix it myself, I can just tackle anything, well then, obviously you know, things begin to break down because that is not true, and then it begins to feed guilt. Say guilt. You start to think to yourself, I made this mess. I can't clean it up. I have this huge mess, and I don't even know where to begin to clean it up. Have you ever felt that way before? You ever thought that before? How did I even end up here? And the same enemy who said to you, you can fix it yourself, then when you're down, you know what he does? He kicks you. And you're like, man, I'm in this big mess. And he's like, man, you can't fix that yourself. Like, what? You're such an idiot. Look at the big mess that you've made. Such a liar. The next thing this lie leads to is it intensifies the fallout. Because you begin to say things like this, maybe not out loud, but in your head and in your heart, I can't believe I let it get this bad. You ever said that before? Your drinking problem, your lust, that secret sin that's in your life, that stronghold, and you say to yourself, I can't believe I let it get this bad. At first I thought I could handle it, but now it's overtaking my life. I can't believe I let it get this bad. And it intensifies the fallout. And the longer you believe this lie, the worse things will get. And here's another thing. It robs you of intimacy. Because when you live... You and me live by this lie that you can fix it yourself. You can't be vulnerable enough then to admit that you need help. And when I buy into the lie that I can fix it myself, you know what happens? I don't trust other people. I don't trust other people enough to help me with the challenges that I am experiencing. And so we refuse to be vulnerable. Can I tell you this? Fully transparent. I, I was raised up in, in a home where, you know what, we just weren't vulnerable with each other. We didn't sit around the table and just, you know, sing kumbaya and share our struggles. We didn't do that. Maybe you did. And so I adopted, even in my own life, this, this whole attitude, I can fix it myself. And can I tell you this, there have been times even in my marriage where it has robbed our marriage of intimacy because I believe this lie. It's possible that some of you, you believe that lie as well. And you understand what I'm saying because you're lacking intimacy as well in your relationship because you believe the lie, you could fix it yourself. When you ask a person for help, it makes that person feel valued and it makes that person feel known. The last thing is this, is that it fuels hypocrisy. Say hypocrisy. You start to think, I can't let anyone know how broken things really are. So you live by this facade. I know that I'm broken on the inside, but I don't want anyone to know how broken things really are. But here's the deal. It's a lie, and we want to be set free. Say free. We want to be set free from this lie. And so real quickly, here's what the writer says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 15. It's one of my favorite verses. In Scripture, it says this, so then... 
Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest, say high priest. Of ours, he understands our weaknesses, for he has faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. What a great truth. The Hebrew writer says that Jesus is our high priest. The high priest, by the way, maybe you look at it and you go, I don't understand. Like, this is really not that big of a deal to me. But the people in this audience of this day, it was a big deal to them. And, and here's why, real quickly, because the high priest was the advocate. Say advocate. He was the representative. He was the high priest that was on the people's side. He was on the people's side, and he spoke to God on their behalf. It was a good thing, man, to have this high priest that was on your side that would speak to God for you. And the Hebrew writer, here's what he's saying in this passage. He says, listen, this is Jesus. Jesus, he represents you. You know how sometimes if you, maybe you've watched it on, on TV, some of, the, some of uh, the law shows, Judge Judy, Judge Mathis. You know, sometimes when you, when you go to court, you have to have a lawyer somebody that's there to represent you. You know what? Even greater than all, the greatest words you can even think about. Jesus represents us. He's an advocate for us. He is in heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God and he's speaking to God on our behalf. And if that is true, what does that mean then about the situation that we're in? It says this and it encourages me in verse 15 in the New Living Translation. It says this, he understands our weaknesses. Aren't you grateful? You grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that we don't have just some high priest that's sitting up in heaven that's like, oh, you're struggling. Good luck with that. Hope it goes well for you. No, he understands our weaknesses. He's faced some of the same testings and trials that we have. And the Greek word here is the idea that he doesn't just watch from a distance and understand what we're going through, but he enters into it. That's good truth. He enters into our struggle if we would allow him. He knows what it is like, and he knows you, and he knows me, down to the very details. In fact, we could say it this way, to be loved but not known is superficial. Here's what I mean by that. If you were to meet a person, they come up to you and they say, in five minutes of knowing you, hey, I just love you. That's awesome, but they don't really know you. That's superficial kind of love. But to be fully known and rejected and not loved is what we fear, isn't it? That's the reason why we don't want to open up ourselves to people. But to be fully known and fully loved is what we desire, though. That is truly what we desire. And can I tell you this? That Jesus, he knows all about us, you and me, and he still loves us. Some of us, we like we run away from trouble. You know what I mean? Like if someone shares their story with you, you're like, I got to go the opposite way. Aren't you grateful that Jesus, he runs into our mess? He doesn't run the opposite way. And so we need to flip the script. I love what it says here in Hebrews 4, 16. So let us boldly, say boldly. boldly. I like that. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious, say gracious, gracious God. He's gracious. 
And there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The idea here is that God is for you. He is on your side. Listen, he intercedes for you. He represents you. And if God is for us, then let me ask you this. Who can be against us? So whatever that weakness is, that struggle, God says, you can come to me, and you can come to me boldly. Say boldly. Some of us, we're waiting for God to come and approach us, and he's saying, no, baby, come and approach me. And when you come to me, I'll be gracious to you, and you will find that I will give you grace and mercy right when you need it the most. Let me ask you a question real quick, and we're going to close up. Time goes by so fast. Have you ever had an experience where uh, you almost drowned? I have. It is not fun. I, I never uh, forget it. My senior year, we went on a trip, and uh, we went whitewater rafting. First of all, I don't even know why I went in the first place, because this brother don't really swim like that. <laughs> but I thought I'd be cool, be out there with my friends, and... You know how it is. If you've been whitewater rafting before, hit one of those rocks, flipped out. And for some reason, I was the only one that flipped out. My life jacket came loose, and there I am. At first, I was laughing, like, ah! <laughs> and then I realized, oh, no, there's like 50 feet of water that I'm in right now, and I'm drowning. And you know what I did? Do you think I said, I can fix it myself? No. I said, help me! You know, when you're drowning, you don't care how ridiculous you look or how ridiculous you sound. You know what you do? You just say, somebody, please, anybody, help me. And there I was. And eventually, one of my friends, after laughing at me, they pulled me back in. <laughs> and as you can see, I survived. But can I ask you a question? Because sometimes we can do this even in our own spiritual life where... We drown spiritually because we believe the lie that we can fix it ourselves, and you're just drowning. And you get to the point where we're so prideful that we don't want to even ask for help. We're too cute to. We're too cute to ask for help. Can I tell you this? God will heal what we, re what we reveal, and he cannot heal what we conceal. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, people who, can, who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess, say confess. You know what confession means? It means to tell on yourself. And it's really easy to tell on other people. You know how it is when you were younger? Like I could always tell on my sister, she's the one that took the cookie. But it's much harder to, to tell on ourselves. But some of us today, we just need to be honest with God and say, you know what? Let me just be honest, God, I'm struggling. And I can't fix it myself. I've tried it for weeks, for months, for some of you, for years. And you know what? I've come to the end of myself, and Jesus, I need you. Some of you, even if you're here and you're like, man, I, might, I don't know how I believe about this whole Jesus thing. You've been investigating faith. You tried everything, and maybe today is the day that you need to say, you know what? I'm willing to give Jesus a chance. What in my life have I concealed from God that needs to be revealed in this moment? And what in my life have I concealed from others that I need 
to get out in the open because there I will found, find healing and restoration and freedom. Say freedom. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel every day on a regular basis because we can forget it regularly. The gospel is good news. The gospel is simply in four words, Jesus in my place. And do you know that there was a Savior whose name is Jesus 2,000 years ago who came and he went to the cross? He bled many streams of blood for you and for me. He was beaten to the point for people who recognize him, they couldn't even recognize him anymore. He was placed in the tomb. And scripture says that three days later, he resurrected from the grave, Jesus in my place. Why? Because he came and he made a way so that you and I, we don't have to live by this life, that we can fix it ourselves. But if we're willing to, if we would open ourselves up, he will step into right in the middle of our struggle.